Welcome to the Poetry Society of Texas podcast. I'm Terry Jude Miller, your host for this episode. Tonight, our guest is Loretta Diane Walker, a multiple pushcart nominee and best of the net nominee. She won the 2016 Phyllis Wheatley Book Award for Poetry for her collection, In This House by Blue Light Press. Naomi Shehab Nye states, Loretta Diane Walker, writes with compassionate wisdom and insight. Her poems restore humanity. Loretta, welcome. Thank you, Terry. What's special to you about the poem that you're going to read for us tonight? What led you to write it? Terry, I was reading a news feed on my homepage. The story was about an utter killing in a small village. A 16-year-old girl by the name of Ambreen was killed for helping her friends elope. She was burned alive in a van, and her brother and mother witnessed the incident with their approval. I couldn't comprehend how mother could stand there and watch a part of herself die in such a violent way. I was so haunted by this story, I was compelled to write about it. Would you read it for us now? I will. The title of the poem is Last Thursday. Ambreen. The sky is a woman, silent now. Her old stories are written in the constellations. She stares in the white pond of moon, a dark turban of night on her head. Complexity is her mirror. Of all the wonders of this world, she is the most ancient of mysteries. She can cleanse the earth with the lift of her skirt, split calm open with chaos. Her life is as long as the beginning. She floats beyond the wicked of time. Her morning eye, bright with the known and unknown, stares down at waves of colorful faces rolling beneath her, the boats of their bodies are burdened with dark and beautiful cargo. This Thursday afternoon, Sky Woman looks down at Embry. Her 16-year-old body is bound and set ablaze for someone else's love. Her mother and brother give their blessings as fire leapfrog, leapfrogs or pulls a petrol, a van, her tomb burns with tradition as tongues of fire lick her bones and a full mouth of smoke sucks her breath. Could they hear the flesh of their flesh crying, begging, escape from the flames? Were their ears plugged with customs? Are their hands made of stone? When the ground is a cold pillar of her memory, she is a lone white dove flying into the ancient arms of Mother Sky. Wow, what a poem. Is this the right vehicle for a story like that? Why is poetry such a good vehicle for a story like this and to share the humanity of it? This was my way 
poetry is a way of honoring something like this because sometimes you it's only through metaphors sometimes that you can share something so horrific it was hard for me to grasp how how someone can go through that and, and poetry with its metaphors and and all the tools in it is a good way and this is my way of honoring her courage mm-hmm. i'm just amazed that a 16 year old knowing the tradition of her village that she would put herself on the line, not for herself, but the love of her friends so they could be happy. An incredibly heroic young woman. What a, what a story. Is this the sort of thing that inspires you to write poetry? Are there other things that inspire you to write? There are other things. One is this complex maze we call life. Poetry is the vehicle I use to navigate through every aspect of it, the hard and soft places, the dark and light of it. I truly believe life is a poem waiting to be written. As long as there's life, there's a reason to write poetry. And secondly, poetry is a door. It allows us to walk in and out of the lives of others. It opens us up to something greater and larger than ourselves. Maybe that's the most important beauty of it, is that it opens us up in so many ways. Oh, beautiful. That's wonderful. What advice do you have for aspiring poets? The first thing I would tell an aspiring poet is to read more poems than you write. Find a mentor or a writing group. Make sure you're connected to other poets in some way. Find your voice and never, ever compare yourself or your work to another poet's work. Even today, I still have a mentor. Yes, I believe that community and associating with other poets is extremely important. I know it was important in my development. In fact, I've read much of your poetry and have learned so much of the craft from reading your poetry from Bud Mahan's poetry, from several of the other members of the Poetry Society of Texas, and other people too, Tony Hoagland, Lee Young Lee, Joseph Kamanyaka. That's the way to learn more about poetry, is to associate with others, to read a lot of poetry. So I agree with you completely that we must have mentors and colleagues and people that we can share our poetry with and and get advice from and critique from. I think that's one of the hardest things for poets to do is to develop that, that thick skin to be able to accept criticism. What is your biggest struggle as a writer? My biggest struggle as a writer is working towards being a much better writer. The process sometimes is grueling. And with me, self-talk is a part of that. I know in my heart where I want to be, but sometimes I can work on a piece and look at it and just get exasperated. I can't make it come together, so I walk away from it feeling like a failure. Then I start a different plan. When I have a large collection of unfinished work, I will return to each unfinished poem, and then I'll ask myself, why didn't you finish this one? And I'll just go down the list. It could be anywhere from 10 to 12 or 13. 
And oftentimes it's because I wasn't in the right emotional space for that particular poem. Mm-hmm. And, and it's just that cycle. It's that trying to be perfect. And sometimes perfection is in a poem. It's when you have something to offer. I think I'm so busy trying to make it impress, you know, impressionable that I lost the meaning and I had to walk away from it and go back. And that's why I asked myself, what were you trying to say? Or where were you trying to go with this poem? Mm-hmm. And that usually works when I question myself. One thing that I heard you say in a workshop one time that really impressed me is that you read 10 poems before you write one. Is that, is that true? Yes. Sometimes it depends if I'm reading an anthology, I might end up reading more than 10. Sometimes it depends on a book, I might end up reading a book. But yes, that's part of my writing, just part of it. Read before you write. And do you read and write every day? To the best of my ability. Part of my problem is the way I work full time. Mm -hmm. So what I'll do is... When I eat lunch alone, I will, while I'm eating lunch, I will actually read poems. Mm-hmm. And then when I'm finished eating, then I'll start writing. So I kind of write, I'll write something even if I don't complete a poem. And if I'm eating lunch with others, I try to write directly after school. My goal is to write every day. Sometimes I don't get a poem completed that day, but at least I'm writing that week. I do the bulk of my writing on weekends, holidays, in the summer, where I can block out a longer period of time. So I know that you submit a lot because you're published a lot. How do you handle rejection emails? Terry, I'll have to admit to you, each time I receive one, it stings some a little more than others. But what I do... I will submit the rejected poem or poems somewhere else. The sooner, the better. There have been times I resubmitted them immediately after I received the rejection email, and then they've been accepted elsewhere. But I've had editors say this was almost, but didn't quite make the cut or say this poem made it to the last round. In those instances, I'll look closely at the poems before I resubmit, and I'll search for weaknesses. In some cases, I found glaring typos, which I was grateful they turned down. Mm -hmm. There have been cases when I just overwrote a poem, and I will work on those. Then I will revise, then resubmit elsewhere. So what was the most difficult poem you've ever written? Actually, I've had two. The memorial poem that I wrote for my mother, last year and the memorial poem that I wrote for my brother, my eldest brother, Mm -hmm. two months ago with his sudden death. Those were hard to write. Yeah. The things that are closest to us usually result in poems that are remembered by others. I've had the same experience as you, so I can attest to how difficult those poems are to write, but I do find them cathartic you know, helpful. Do you find that as well? Oh, yes. It, it helped me, not only me, but my family and 
that's that's one of those times, Terry, that I realized that I wasn't writing for myself. I was writing for my family. Yeah. And that made a difference, too. I think knowing that maybe gave me a little strength to write, to mm-hmm. finish it, no matter how painful I finished those two poems, but I was writing for them also. Wonderful. We're so much alike. I don't know if it's because uh, I met you 10 years ago and I was immediately inspired by you and I read everything I could get my hands on that you had written. And whenever I heard that you were going to be teaching a workshop or being a featured reader somewhere, I always tried to attend. You're just a wonderful poet and someone who I've, I've shaped my own poetry as an example of. So thank you so much for doing what you do and for being such an inspiration. Have you ever had a poem published that you wish you could take back? Yes. <laughs> I've, I've actually had more. Mm-hmm. And, and this is so sad, and I, I, will not, I will not say the name of the journal, or I will not state this poem, but I was thinking, you actually published that? I looked at that poem, and I thought, oh, gosh, my name is on it. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, but yes, that has happened. And maybe now that I've grown, but that was a poem that was published earlier in my career. And it's like, uh, it is my least favorite poem. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to relate something to you and you tell me if it's ever happened to you. Of course, the Poetry Society of Texas has its really tremendous contest every year. It has a hundred categories in it. And of course, the NFSP, the National Federation of State Poetry Societies, also has its contest with 50 categories. And so I start out every year, I make a spreadsheet, and I work on poems, and I place one here, I place one there. I read the entries that won in previous years, and I go back and I start tediously working those poems. And, you know, maybe I'll remove an adjective here or an adverb there. And then when I'm getting ready to submit it, I see the few categories I haven't written anything for. And then I'll just jot something out real quick, maybe proofread it once and then submit that poem. And then out of all of the poems that I submit, guess what? which ones win? Yes. The last ones. Has that ever happened to you? Yes, yes. I'm glad to know just not, I mean, it's like, did you say to yourself, you mean I toiled over these other ones? <laughs> <laughs> and I have, what, 10, 15 minutes? Yeah. Yes, yes. I've won first place like that, and I just shake my head, and it's like, I cannot believe this. I cannot oh believe it. I'm a firm believer, and I discussed this with Robin Davidson, who teaches poetry and creative writing at the University of Houston. I think sometimes poets have to write and get out all that bad poetry. You have to get it out on paper to kind of like vacate it from you so that you can start writing good poetry. So maybe the exercise is, is that you spend all this time lamenting over these other poems that you're submitting so you can get all the bad poetry out of you. So at the last minute, you can jot down a few poems and submit those and they win. 
Loretta, I have been looking forward to this interview for a long, long time. You are an inspiration to me. I've said that before. I'm so glad that you're with us. I know that you faced some personal health challenges. Can you tell us how that has impacted your writing? Yes. I have, especially this last month and a half, I've had to write myself out of pain and face reality. Mm -hmm. I can happily say now that I am a two-time breast cancer survivor. Mm -hmm. The first time I wrote about it, it was painful. Mm -hmm. The second time, I've been writing with so much gratitude. The story behind this is, without going into much detail, but in June, the date's down in my head, June 18th, when I received my mammogram, Mm -hmm. My mammogram came back clear, nothing different from last year. June 21st is when I visited my oncologist and it said, you know, cancer, you know, free. And so I had been wanting to do reconstruction and I kept putting it off and putting it off. And I thought, well, now's the time I deemed in remission. Mm -hmm. And when I went for the reconstruction, I had it October 10th, and I talked with my surgeon, and he said, you know, as a breast cancer survivor, I have to send the tissue off. And basically, we were thinking, this is protocol. I had just been deemed Mm cancer-free. And when the pathology came back, and I could tell something, my plastic surgeon is really upbeat guy, and Mm -hmm. I don't know about you, Terry, with the cancer, every time I visit the doctor, I always look in their eyes. I always look in my, to my doctor's eyes just to gauge, you know? Mm-hmm. And he kind of sat over in the corner, and I thought, something is off. Mm-hmm. And he said, we found cancer. And needless to say, I was in shock. Right. And it was, it was small. This time, Terry, I'm writing out of gratitude, if that makes sense, because right. it was found early. I had surgery a couple of weeks ago. Mm-hmm. It seems like a couple of weeks ago, November 14th, when that was the date. And now I'm cancer-free. So I've been writing with, from the standpoint of gratitude, is there pain? Mm-hmm. Yes. I was, there was pain. I was shocked. But I am, my gratitude is so great. I am so grateful mm-hmm. that it was found this early because otherwise it would have been another year. And yep. I would have had to go through the process of chemo and radiation and surgery Mm -hmm. again. And so I'm writing with gratitude. Yep. You know, it's amazing how that happens in this life, how, how the fates have this, this way of toying with us. And my mother used to say, it's the good, bad accidents that happen to you. You know, the things that, you think you really want or that you don't want and then they turn out to be the opposite of what would have been good for you you know it's it's tremendous and i think it serves a lot of poets inspiration to just think of these things that happen in our lives that are so random that they occur like that if you had not gone for reconstruction you would have not found the cancer and it may have been too late isn't that something Yes, and the reason I 
cry sometimes out of gratitude. I just remember when I saw my oncologist face and he said, this has just never happened before. And when he told me my option, he said, you have no other option if you want to live a full life. Right. This is what you're going to have to do. When he told me my choices, basically, which I didn't have an option, but I look at things so much differently now. The first time I had breast cancer, I don't take things for granted. Right. And right now, I appreciate the people more in my life. I appreciated people the first time, my students, but this has made me more grateful for the people in my life. Mm -hmm what gifts they are because right. with the shock my family my friends my poor friends mm -hmm. they held me up when it was pretty shaky even in the with gratitude i was still shaking it's a wonderful story and it's illuminated in your poetry both the good and bad things that have happened to you have for your readers given us great poetry to read so Loretta, I, I can't thank you enough for being our guest tonight. This has been long overdue to have you on this show, so thank you for being here. And thank you, Terry, for inviting me. It is an honor, and it is a gift, and you are one of those people that, that I cherish in my life. Well, thank you. So are you. This has been a Poetry Society of Texas podcast featuring Loretta Diane Walker. Visit the website at PoetrySocietyOfTexas.org. The podcast producer is me, Terry Jude Miller. Music provided by Ed and Mem Frita. Technical editing by J. Darrell Kirkley. Visit again for another episode of the Poetry Society of Texas podcast.